Please note that the contents of model mentality are for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on model mentality. Hi, I'm Dr. Ali Sharma, a psychiatrist and mental health advocate. And I'm Bridget Malcolm, an international fashion model. And this is Model Mentality. We created this podcast to open up the dialogue about mental health in the fashion industry by exploring the lives of models through the lens of their personal mental health experience. Each episode, we will invite a leading fashion model to sit down to chat, going behind the visual imagery and what you may know of their external life to take a deeper dive into who is actually behind the mask and at the real struggles these models have faced. And in our Let's Get Clinical segment, I'll explore connecting the dots between our guests' personal stories and the larger mental health context. Because at the end of the day, we are all human and our struggles are universal. Hit the subscribe button on the podcast and tell all your friends about model mentality. Please note this podcast is strictly for educational purposes only, and please consult your own provider for any mental health issues you may be facing. Today on the podcast, I have with me Heidi Lindgren. Heidi Lindgren has been a model since the age of 13, is currently a psych tech in Boise, Idaho, after completing a bachelor's degree in psychology from Columbia University, and she grew up in Boca Raton, Florida. She moved to New York and worked with Muse Models, which then led to guest campaigns and then to the cover of GQ. She later co-founded Models for Water and raised money to drill water wells in Burkina Faso. She's also involved with two initiatives in Haiti, one called Rebuild Globally, where she sits on their board of directors, and Dumain Designs, an ethical fashion brand. All right. So today I have on the podcast with me, Heidi Lindgren. Heidi, it's such an honor to speak with you. And I'm really excited to to speak about your experience in mental health, especially in a psych hospital. Yeah, it's definitely been an amazing learning experience. And just, uh, I've, you know, I've seen a lot of mental illness kind of in my family and loved ones growing up, but being in this inpatient facility um, has been a really eye-opening experience. And it's been really fun to just be a part of, you know, someone's healing journey, even if it's like a tiny part. <laughs> no, definitely. I, I mean, I remember I volunteered at an inpatient psychiatric hospital in college, and it's not a part of society that I had seen because of my family life and the way things were. And I, I feel like it's something that everyone should understand, right? These things are often hidden in most societies and we need to open it up a bit so that people see that this is just part of the human experience. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Okay. So we will get there for sure, but let's go back a little bit. You know, I like to ask all of my guests this question. So Given, given that you have this experience um, in psych, however, you're a model and you're many other things from what I understand, what interested you about coming onto the podcast? Um, so I recently went back to school. I started back in, I guess it was 2016. Um, and I got my degree in psychology from Columbia. And I don't even think I really knew uh, how much I was going to 
just be hungry for the information I was learning, but I connected with it so well because I did have mental illness in my family growing up, some, some more severe, um, some far less severe, but I, I just really started to realize how uh, familiar it was to me and important it was to me to understand it. And um, even in my own life to understand myself and be able to go inward and ask, ask the questions that I was learning about how to ask, even though I was told multiple times not to self-diagnose. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, this is me. <laughs> so I just really became obsessed with learning more about it. And, um, you know, now kind of, as we'll get into with my physical journey, understanding how much mental health plays a role in our ability to be healthy physically um, and how intertwined those two things are. I just, I was really excited to be able to talk to you. And, you know, obviously like psychiatry is just uh, a huge part of my life now being around that. So it was just really exciting to be able to talk to you. No, absolutely. And you said something, so you had mental illness in your family and I'm curious, you know, what do you recall you know, was the discussion uh, or the communication around it? Because the way families handle it, you know, varies across cultures, across the individual family, across people's comfort levels or understanding. How do you, how do you remember it being discussed or you viewing it as a child or adolescent? Well, it was actually really interesting. It wasn't really spoken about. It wasn't really uh, addressed as an issue. It was just kind of there. And, you know, we loved this person unconditionally and just didn't really ask questions about it and you know we just kind of rolled with the punches as you would with anything that you have in in life um and then what was actually really interesting in terms of like far less severe mental illness my and it's not, I actually even hesitate to call it mental illness but my mom told me you know for years when I was five six seven years old she'd pick me up from school and I would be happy and bouncy and everything and then I'd get in the car and I would just start bawling my eyes out every day and she didn't understand what was going on I only realized now 30 years later that I was dealing with major anxiety <laughs> And she has expressed to me multiple times how badly she wished that she understood that back then. But, you know, we didn't have an understanding of what I was going going through or what I was dealing with. And so, yeah, it just between those two experiences, mental health has just become a really, um, really interesting topic for me and something I always want to understand more about. Yeah. And, you know, what you're describing is, you know, something that I think about a lot is that how do you teach people to recognize the signs, whether it's yes. anxiety, right, or distress, or someone who's not acting like themselves, the risk of, you know, suicidality in a more severe case. Um, and we need that, that requires education, right? And yeah. meaning we need to discuss it in society, a lot of advocacy around it. So, you know, if we give parents, teachers, people, loved ones, friends, the tools to understand, like, all right, this is what I do when I see this, I think that can go a long way, you know, or if there's enough professionals to, to help, you know, like your mom could have sent you to someone or to a pediatrician who can then figure out what to do. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so let's go back then, not that early, but you were, <laughs> yeah, you were scouted to model at the age of 13. I know you said it at a Britney Spears concert in Florida. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So tell me, what did that mean to you at that age? You know, that's puberty. That's a critical developmental age. And I'm just curious what it was like to start modeling and working uh, that young. 
So it's actually really interesting. I think it would be really different for each person. But for me, it was kind of like my saving grace because I was dealing with so much anxiety. High school was almost impossible for me. Like I, I loved the academics. I've always been a, a nerd. <laughs> but I, I mean, I would sit in between the lockers during lunch and just cry or I would call my mom and she would come sit in the parking lot with me. And I would just say, like, I can't go in there. I can't go in there. I, I just couldn't cope. And then I wound up losing my older brother when I was 16 as well. And like that just oh, no. added to the mix and my parents split up and it was just a rough time. And modeling was this unbelievable, like, not only distraction, but place that I just felt comfortable immediately. I just, I, I just felt like I had something to hold on to, I guess. And it really was a, a huge, huge saving grace for me. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it sounds like you went through a lot and with the anxiety, then it's harder to to manage everything else you're going through, which, you know, middle school is tough enough and high yeah. school. Yeah. And what do you recall, you know, you say anxiety, but it was coming out as tears. I mean, do you remember, you know, cause anxiety can be many different types of symptoms, you know, it can be anxiety of your thoughts. It can be excessive worries. Um, it can be physical symptoms. You know, what was it for you or emotional symptoms? Of course, what was it for you? Well, so it's funny because like the tears came out, but really what it was, was paralysis. I, I, I can't tell you how many times when I just couldn't do anything, I couldn't make a decision. I couldn't go into a place. I couldn't make a phone call. I, I just couldn't make decisions. Like I was completely paralyzed and that, yeah, that really, and even with modeling, I, I still had those moments, um, especially when I started traveling overseas. I, I can't tell you how many international phone bills I racked up calling my mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's really how it manifested for me the most. And when do you think you realized or saw it as anxiety, something that you could get help for? Um... Gosh, it's been such a progression of understanding. Um, I think that, so I did go through a divorce this past couple of years or this past year, and I was going to therapy when I, like prior to that. And I think that was when I actually really started to understand that it was what I was dealing with. I think I didn't want to call it that because... I felt like I should be able to just manage it. Like, you know, that there was something wrong with me that I couldn't just get over it. And then talking to a therapist, I started to realize like, there's something real going on here that I don't need to feel guilty for, um, which was huge, you know? Yeah. And, and it sounds like you had to tolerate what you were experiencing for a long time, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And it was really freeing to understand that it was not my fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in retrospect, I mean, just looking at the fact that it took a long time to get to that point where you needed the therapist and then process it all, you know, what do you think would have helped thinking about, you know, how far your anxiety dates back to? What do I think would have helped? Um, I mean, first of all, to your point, just, you know, an understanding and, you know, having the information available for how to deal with it. I mean, even now, just like grounding techniques are huge for me, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, just little tools that you can have in your toolkit to cope in moments that are 
more difficult than others. Um, I, I don't know that those were really available when I was younger. So I think, you know, we did the best we could, but um, having those back then, I think would have been very helpful. Yeah. And grounding techniques. I mean, for those listening, there are, there's so much you can do on your own mm -hmm. for anxiety. So what are the grounding techniques that really help you? Uh, when I start really getting into my own head, one of my favorites is like the five, four, three, two, one, where you start, you know, you really look around you and you notice and really name five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can feel touching your skin, you know, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. And it just brings you back to the moment that you're in and gets you out of this like anxiety thought process, this like circular space that at least I get into um, and helps you kind of see that what you're going through in your head isn't real in the moment that you're in right now. Exactly. And the thought, but the thoughts can be overwhelming and can completely derail you from doing yes. what you need to do. But yeah, I mean, I love grounding techniques and teach that with a lot of people and some people like breathing techniques. There's, yeah, we can talk about, you know, things we can do for anxiety, but, you know, I'm curious because you said, you know, modeling was something that took you away from a lot of the difficulty you were experiencing and it came up a little bit. So what was it about modeling or having found that path that the anxiety didn't show up so much? I've honestly wondered that a lot. Um, yeah. I, 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 the only thing I can really guess is that my anxiety has very often been tied to my peers. Um, and I think a lot of my anxiety has been tied to my peers. Um, and there was something about modeling. I was treated as an adult and I was around adults. And I think that for some reason, I've always felt more comfortable that way. I mean, I remember in college, people would be terrified of professors. And I wanted to spend all my time with my professors. I didn't want to be with my peers at all. I was like, I want to talk to these people. <laughs> and, and I think being treated as an adult and just being able to operate in a different space than among my peers where I felt so uh, terrible all the time was really helpful to me. Yeah. And that's interesting. And because you, you also said that your agents have been really supportive. Yes. So let's shift to that. Cause I've talked to obviously many different models in your industry on our podcast, and there's just been a variety of experiences. So tell me a little bit about you starting to model that age, you know, what helped you along and who, who the people were that were most supportive. So it's actually really interesting that you say that because people really wanted me to model prior to me starting it. I had lots of people making comments about it. And my mom was like, no way. <laughs> she, she really said to me, she's like, if it's meant to be, it's coming to you. We are not chasing it down. No way. So then when I was approached at the concert, I was like, hey, it came to me like, let's check it out. <laughs> so we did, um, we went and spoke to, it was in Miami at the time. And um, the agency was Irene Marie and Irene who founded it had not only been a model herself, but she had five kids and she really connected with my mom and helped my mom feel safe and secure about me entering into an industry that was really scary to her because she 
trusted this woman to guide me. You know, she, she didn't think she would do anything that she wouldn't allow her own kids to do. Mm. And Irene really became almost like a second mom to me. And even though I had different agencies here and there in other cities, like she was my main guiding light for, I would say, like the first quarter of my career, maybe a little bit longer. And then when I went to New York and was looking for agencies, I met with Connor at Muse, who I'm still with. And Muse was brand new at the time. And I remember him just having the most calming effect on me and saying, you know, I really believe in you. I would really love to work with you. It's up to you. And he just, I I don't know. I just, he approached it in such a supportive way of my choice and like what was right for me, um, which other agencies were not doing at all. And I thought, man, like this guy, this is a good fit. And for sure for the past, (laughs) I mean, I guess it's been 15 years now. He has been such an unbelievable support system to me in in many ways. So I've been really fortunate to sign with him and and have such a long career with him. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the fact that in any job, in any workplace, to have support around you, whatever that is, right? It can come in many forms. Yeah. It's so important. And where there isn't support and you're going through something that's difficult, life experience or something workplace related, yeah. it's just really hard. Absolutely. And and that's what I tell girls all the time when people come to me asking for advice about signing with agencies. One of the first things that I always say is make sure there's someone you're comfortable with, because it doesn't matter how big the agency is. It doesn't matter how, you know, trendy or whatever they are. If you aren't with somebody that supports you as a person and not just a model, it's going to be a hard road, most likely. So given that you had such a like strong level of support by your agencies, you know, could you talk about, if anything, what are the things that are psychologically more difficult in your career as a model? Oh, sure. Um, You know, obviously (laughs) there is the body image thing that always comes up. um, And I really felt like I was never being forced by anyone at the agency to be someone I wasn't. And I think that's always been one of the great things about Muse. I mean, Muse, you know, they they started their curve board a while ago and it has since absolutely blown up. And I think that that was one of the most impressive things to me about them is they really pushed boundaries with accepting body types of all kinds and, and not just like much larger girls and much smaller girls like they represent the whole spectrum you know uh, like average girls and (laughs) just I really think that they were amazing in not trying to force me to be anything that I wasn't um and then also just you know in my personal life when I had anything going on I always felt supported um you know modeling is it can be hard to be around the world by yourself when you're young, you don't know anybody. And anytime I was sort of having moments of weakness, I always knew I had somebody I could talk to about it. And that I was never going to made to feel, I was never going to be made to feel dumb or, you know, like there was something wrong with me. I was just always supported emotionally, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. So then in all of this, tell us about your interest, because I know you want to work in the space of both physical and mental health, like where they connect. 
Yeah. So, you know, even though I had that support from my agents, I personally always kind of struggled with not feeling like I looked the way that I wanted to, but I didn't feel like I, like I could really do anything about it because my anxiety kept me out of the gym and it kept me from really um, feeling like I could do anything. And it's only been in this last year that I was able to kind of toss out the idea of trying to look a certain way and really understand that fitness is about showing up for yourself and being the type of person that I want to be proud of and I want to be healthy. And I just, I was able to view it differently. And now health and exercise and fitness has become such a a fun thing for me instead of an anxiety producing thing. And every time I'm able to beat that anxiety and go to the gym, I leave so freaking proud of myself that it just, it's built up such a sense of like self-efficacy and self-confidence. And I genuinely feel like a different person in the last six months or so, which Mm -hmm. was huge coming out of my divorce. You know, I really leaned on developing myself and, and, and trying to better the things that I didn't maybe like so much. And I just feel so proud of myself every time I'm able to engage in something that used to be something I couldn't do. So it's been huge. Yeah. So how did you get there? Right. Because that's amazing. This change has happened in the past year in a time where your relationship, you know, you're on the other end of a divorce. Yeah. What what got you there? Um, Obsessive research. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I really I'm not kidding. And that self-help books, um, podcasts, uh, you know, any article on anxiety or fitness or like how to get over gym anxiety, because that's a real thing, you know? Mm. And I just really just started diving into it. And I think that what was really interesting to me is in the past when I would have spurts of like, being able to get to the gym or something, I would expect my anxiety to go away like that, like just immediately and be like, I'm healed, you know? And since this journey in mental health that I've been in, I realize like things don't heal like that. It is such a slow progression, but it's a progression. And all of a sudden you kind of start to go, oh, it feels a little bit different today. I'm not totally over my anxiety. It's still hard for me to walk in when it's busy, but something feels a little bit different. I feel a little bit stronger. And I think just like hanging on to those little moments and I journal about those moments and those times where I'm proud of myself and I get past my overwhelming thought processes and do the thing that I'm scared of, I write it down and then I can look back and go, holy crap, I didn't used to be able to do this. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And, so, and I'm curious because you said gym anxiety and I yeah. know anxiety, we know it can manifest in so many different ways. So yeah. for you, what would happen when it was at its peak? You would go to the gym and then your anxiety would show up. Just walk me through what what would happen. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would, 
I would say it's kind of what I was touching on before of just like paralysis. It Mm. almost feels like, um, I mean, you know, (laughs) psychiatrically, like how anxiety can literally pull from your ability to think it, it can disrupt your cognition completely. And I would get to the gym and I would be so overwhelmed by every like crazy circling thought in my head that I couldn't even think about what to do. I, and I, I had, you know, some knowledge of how to work out, but I just was so overwhelmed by every thought in my head that I'd like go hide in the bathroom mm-hmm. <laughs> and not be able to do anything. Or I would just get on the treadmill and, and I just, I wasn't able to do anything, um, of meaning to me. Like, obviously it's fine to get on the treadmill. I still do that from time to time, but I was just overwhelmed in my head and couldn't, you know, couldn't get past that thought process to do anything. Yeah, no, and thank you for elaborating on that because, you know, as a psychiatrist, I see um, a lot of different people with anxiety, but it, it, sh- it, you know, it may be what you're describing, but in a different context. Right? Sure, whatever absolutely. is personally sensitive or whatever someone is personally vulnerable to. And it sounds like your vulnerability was around the gym, body image, which we know is something in the model industry that comes up with a lot of women. And yeah you know, a big sensitivity wrapped up in your psychology and negative thoughts that might come up right in that moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's not happening anymore. The paralysis. Uh, no. With- and it. and it's just, it's really been, you know, knowledge and just showing up and doing it a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And I also just, you know, want to touch on the fact that it, it, it can go outside of the gym too. I mean, I remember running into someone at the airport one time. I, I traveled constantly. And so checking in at the airport was, you know, I knew it like the back of my hand. And I ran into another model who I didn't really know that well. And all of a sudden my anxiety kicked in and I couldn't figure out how to check in for my flight. Uh-huh. I, I like, I completely was like, I don't, know how to do this i mean it's just wild to me how it can interrupt your ability to function (laughs) yeah and you said you're you've been in therapy as well yeah i've had like several different stints um throughout like my my parents put me in therapy when my brother passed and and i've had several different stints i would say you know prior to my divorce and through my divorce was probably the most powerful experience I've ever had, but I've always been a big fan of therapy. You know, you mentioned before also your brother passed. So what, what happened? Cause you were at such a young age to lose someone in your family. Yeah, it was definitely hard. I mean, he was about five years older than me and he um, was driving drunk and got into a car accident. So yeah, it was a definitely a traumatic experience. Yeah. And can you, ref- I mean, grief and loss, right, is something that, again, is part of being human, right? We go through it, but it's really difficult to lose a close ma- you know, family member. How, how do you recall it impacting you or your anxiety or the things you described that were happening back then? Um, it's kind of a weird thing. So uh, I feel incredibly fortunate. Um, the night he passed he was leaving the house and i i was only 16 at the time but i could tell something was not right and i didn't want him to leave and he told me he wouldn't and then he hugged me and he gave me the longest hug i've ever had in my life Mm. and then i wound up falling asleep and he left and that's when he got in the car accident but i feel like i got to say goodbye 
And that is such a rare experience. And I feel so fortunate that it happened that way. So to be honest with you, even though obviously I miss him completely, it, I don't think it impacted me in the way that it could have, you know? Yeah. That, that closure. Yeah. It was really powerful. It sounds like yeah. I can hear it in your voice. Yeah. I Gosh. feel really grateful. Yeah. No, it sounds like you, I mean, you went through a lot and your parents, you said also split up at that age. Yeah. Re- yeah. Within a couple of years. So, you know, I mean, my poor parents, I feel for them way more than <laughs> even myself, but yeah, it was, it was a lot in a brief period of time. Yeah. So look, like fast forward, because I think you're, people listening to this can really learn from your experience and probably can relate. I mean, we're living through a pandemic. You went through a divorce the last couple of years. What I see is that so many people are struggling with relationships. And I see both ways, like relationships break up because of the way we are living and the routines changing, or people are cemented back together in isolation, (laughs) you know, and then there's everything in between, you know, there's a lot of variability. Um, But there are a lot of breakups and divorce in the last couple of years and also loss and grief, of course, from COVID and and otherwise not being able to see your family and grieve. So, so just reflecting on that, I mean, what have you learned and what's your advice to people who are struggling perhaps through breakups or divorce in the last couple of years who are not maybe where you are with things? Well, I'll say this. I, I don't believe everything happens for a reason, but I do believe something good can come out of everything that happens. And I have used this as such an opportunity to develop my sense of self, which I don't think I had when I was married. And as I look back, I kind of see how I lost myself in relationships and almost kind of became a version of the person that I was with, or I, or I wanted to be a version of the person that I was with and did a lot of like comparison to the people I was with and then would start feeling bad about myself because I wasn't as far along as they were or driven or creative or smart or you name it. Like I just, I just fell in that trap completely. And so This has been an incredible opportunity for me to say, who am I? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's weird to be doing that in my 30s. I would have hoped that I would have done that a long time ago. (laughs) But it's been an incredible process. And part of, you know, the the fitness routine has played a huge part in that. Um, But I, I really have used it as an opportunity to say, what can I do better to make me a more whole person on my own? Mm. And that's been huge. So that I guess would be my advice is, you know, you're going through something hard. What can you pull out of it to be a stronger version of yourself, you know, and someone that you love and someone that you appreciate and, and are proud of? No, I think that is great. I mean, I I like what you said, and I agree that, you know, although we all go through difficult challenges at certain points in our life, you will learn, you will grow, right? And there will be something that you don't expect that comes out of it, no matter how difficult it was to get through, whatever it was. Um, You also started working for a psychiatric hospital as a psych tech. So I want to switch gears and talk about that. Could you tell us, you know, how you 
um, how that evolved, how you became a psych tech and what a psych tech is and what you have observed. Yeah. So um, it's funny. So a bachelor's in psych <laughs> kind of qualifies you to do everything and nothing. Like <laughs> you can go into human resources, you can go to grad school, you can be a writer, you can do like anything. But in terms of mental health, you're really, you know, limited with what you can do until you get a further degree, um, grad level degree. And so I was just, you know, I just moved to Boise. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was graduating. And one of the first things that I did when I moved here was I found a climbing gym because climbing was actually really therapeutic for me, too, when I was going through everything. And my climbing partner was a psychiatric nurse. And he said to me, you know, you should check out this psych tech position. I was like, what is that? So I looked into it, found a hospital here. Um, it's a 16 bed facility, so it's really small. And I, um, I've been working there since March and it's been it's been amazing. Um, so I basically monitor patient safety, kind of coordinate with the nurses and make sure that they understand everything that's going on. If there's any changes in behaviors, I just am there to kind of make sure the patient's needs are met, make sure everybody's okay. Um, and it's been a really, really cool process. Yeah. And you also mentioned that there's a certain aspect of mental health and healing that you've become interested in. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, specifically how people help themselves. Yeah, you know, it's there's a huge spectrum of people that come into the hospital. You know, we're, we're as an acute care facility, we get people that are in crisis, you know, so that can look like a million different things that can be psychosis, it can be major depression, it can be a million different things. And something that I've seen is that there's also a huge range of people who are invested in, like the level of how invested they are in their own improvement and healing. And I've found that I really connect with the people who are trying to get better. You know, there are a lot of people and, and this is in no way like a criticism of them, but maybe they're just not in a place where they feel they can participate in their healing. But I just have found myself connecting to people who are really, um, really wanting to participate. And, and that, you know, has kind of driven my, my plan to work one on one with people in getting past their own mental health barriers. Um, eventually, I would like to. <laughs> yeah. And where do you see your career going? Because you have a psychology degree, you're doing work as a psych tech, you model, you mentioned that you do some work in Haiti as well. Where do you see yeah. it's all going? Yeah. I know there's too many, too many things. But so I, I also got my personal training certification and a huge reason for that was I thought that um, something that would be helpful in dealing with um, my anxiety in the gym would be knowledge. You know, arming yourself with knowledge is, is a huge, uh, huge help. And so I got my personal training certification and I've been working with a couple clients. I really have been loving that. And I'm working on getting my behavior change specialist certification as well, just because I'm so interested in helping people identify and then break down their own barriers, um, to achieve their own like physical fitness health goals. Um, so that's kind of where I envision myself going right now. 
Um, I also, as you mentioned, I, I still am involved in a ethical fashion brand that I work with in Haiti and COVID's kind of thrown a wrench into things, but we would go down there a couple times a year and do photo shoots for them and just, you know, involve, I'm just trying to stay involved in like design and helping them curate things and just, you know, help them expand their reach in order to hire more people and help people lift themselves out of poverty in Port-au-Prince. So yeah, those are kind of my, my major areas of focus, I would say. Oh, that's great. And what is the organization called for those who might it's, be interested? Yeah, for sure. It's called Demain Designs, which is like two hands in French. So it's like D-E-U-X-M-A-I-N-S. Um, and they, they produce like beautiful leather, uh, handbags and, and, um, and uh, sorry, wallets and jewelry. And we upcycle tires in a lot of our products. So we have completely vegan products as well that are made from inner tube. So it's been, yeah, they've been a really cool brand to work with. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I will, I will definitely put a link to that organization um, in the Thanks. show notes for, for those who might be interested. I know I'm interested. I, I, yeah, I went to Haiti once, as I mentioned to you, to yeah. do post-disaster work. And um, yeah, it's an amazing place. Um, okay, final question. If you had 50 million Instagram followers, what would you want to tell people about mental health? I would want to tell people that there's hope and you can get better. And better does not have to mean that whatever you're dealing with is gone, but it can improve. And that's what I've seen on my own personal trajectory. It's what I see in my work in the hospital and um, I remember reading this really beautiful book. Uh, it was called Darkness Visible. It's a memoir. Uh, you might be familiar with it. Um, and it's a memoir about depression. And it really touched on the same thing, you know, how even something that feels in the moment so overwhelming and something like you'll never be able to get past can improve if you do the work and find the right people to support you. Um, it'll get better. Uh, thank you, Heidi. And I don't know the book, so I will definitely look it up. I'm always okay. looking for recommendations. Yeah. But yeah. thank you so much for speaking with me and hearing your perspective. Um, thank you. It was absolutely yeah. a pleasure to be here. And keep doing what you're doing. I can't wait Thanks. to see where things go. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Now, Let's get clinical. Three things stand out to me from a clinical perspective. First, recognizing the signs of anxiety from an early age. Second, treatment for anxiety and anxiety disorders. And third, relationships in COVID. So on the first, Heidi mentioned that her anxiety was severe in that she would often present as crying, but internally her thoughts were so overwhelming to the point of interfering in her ability to show up for her life. And she was really young when this began. So for all of you parents and teachers out there, if you see a child frequently in emotional distress as Heidi was, this warrants an evaluation from a professional. And if you're curious about more subtle signs of anxiety in young children, here's a list that also warrant an evaluation. Frequent tantrums or intensely irritable most of the time, talking frequently about fears or worries, complaining about stomach aches or headaches with no medical basis, being in constant motion or not being able to sit quietly, sleeping too much, too little, or nightmares, 
not being interested in playing with other children or having difficulty connecting with other friends, struggling academically or a recent change and decline in grades, and repeating actions or checking things out of fear that sometimes uh, something bad may happen. I'm reading from the National Institute of Mental Health's website, and I'll put the link in the show notes if you want to learn more. On the second, if you think you may have an anxiety disorder, the first thing to do is seek an evaluation from a mental health professional. Once you receive a diagnosis, treatment can include psychotherapy, including CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy, medications, and alongside this, there's so many relaxation techniques that can really help with anxiety, including things like deep breathing, meditation, exercise, yoga, and even the grounding techniques that Heidi alluded to. As you heard in her story, the type of anxiety that she has derails her and interferes with her ability to concentrate on the task at hand, whether it's at the gym or in her earlier years in high school. This doesn't have to be the case for any of you that it gets this severe. Heidi endured her anxiety for such a long time before being able to conquer it. Anxiety is treatable and don't wait to get help if this sounds like you. On the third, let's talk relationships and COVID. What's been your relationship story during the pandemic? We know divorce rates have been on the rise, and we also know that some relationships are stronger than ever. For Heidi, her divorce in the past year gave her a chance to say, who am I? And out of it came growth and the discovery of what she can do better to make her a more whole person on her own. And I would add that generally, the stillness that we've all had to face forces us to confront ourselves and to reconcile with old ghosts that may be haunting us. And although this can be painful, it can also help to move us forward. Back to Heidi, I can't say enough. It's an honor to speak with her, to hear her perspective on mental health, her anxiety as a child, and now as a psychology graduate and psych tech after a 20 year modeling career. And I can't wait to see where her career evolves down the road. Many people struggle with anxiety, anxiety disorders, and relationship breakups. And we want you to understand that you're not alone, that there is power in connection, in speaking up and in asking for and receiving help. I'm Dr. Ali Sharma. Thanks for listening to Model Mentality. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Clinical by Dr. Ali. Please check our show notes for references and more information on this episode. As always, If you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. What you have heard on Model Mentality does not represent what would take place during a psychiatric assessment or an actual therapy session. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Model Mentality. If you like today's content, please subscribe to Model Mentality or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Model Mentality is brought to you by Mind Studios.